Hello and welcome to the Hub Systems Podcast, the voice of man's model moments, the blog of the various ramblings on the modelling and gaming antics of my son and I. My name is Alex Mann and with me is my son Oscar. Hello. Today we also welcome several guests. First we have a Spartan Vanguard in the form of Ian Duff who ran the Planetfall demo and participation games at Salute. Hi there everyone. We also have Chris Smith, who's the organiser of the Reading Warfare Firestorm Tournament. Evening, chaps. And last, but by no means least, we have a special guest in the form of Thomas Martin, one of the lead writers for Spiral Arm Studios and Maelstrom's Edge. Hello. Okay, so as we do have a few new people with us, let's have some gamer bios. Ian, can you give us a short history of your gaming life? Uh, well, short history, it goes back a long way. Um uh, been gaming for a lot of years now, 30 plus. Started off with original Dungeons and Dragons while I was at school. Played a lot of games over the years, mainly GW stuff in the 80s and 90s. Laid off for it for a bit because I was heavily into my sports and family and stuff like that. But came back to uh, gaming in early 2000s, back with GW stuff. And a couple of years ago, I got interested introduced to Firestorm Armada from Spartan Games and since then um, the 40k and the GW stuff has been uh, dropping off almost exclusively playing Spartan Game games now a little bit a few things on the side as well but always been a modeler converter and painter mainly rather than a gamer uh, and that's about it really so that brings me up to date cool thanks Chris how about you um, about 15 years ago I picked up a fateful copy of White Dwarf it's been a long sparring descent into madness ever since. <laughs> so mostly, <laughs> mostly Warhammer fantasy and then 40k. Most school board games and Magic: The Gathering. But then towards the end of university, I discovered Firestorm Armada. I got into that, as did some of my mates. And now I play Firestorm, Planetfall, Dystopian Wars. And since leaving university, I've branched out into about four million different other games like Saga, Dreadbull, Frostgrave, Flames of War. I'm playing that with my uncle. That's good. Yeah, I pretty much play anything and everything I can get my hands on. Excellent. And Thomas, give us your provenance as a gamer and an author to round us out. Sure. So I I, um, I first started playing games when I was donated a few Space Wolves from my cousin when I was, I think, about 10. Uh, and then most of my teenage years spent playing uh, Warhammer, uh, a big dwarf army and Warhammer Quest, uh, and a lot of Necromunda. I really enjoyed Necromunda. And I uh, kind of Put it all aside whilst I was doing my degree, and then during my PhD, when I was at my lowest, I was like, "What I need is minis." So I bought <laughs> a new Space Wolf army um, and played quite a lot of 40k for a couple of years, um, and then um, I got approached. Uh, so on the side, I'd already been writing science fiction, so I'd had a few short stories in various magazines and things, um, and uh, I got approached by uh, a gentleman on Daka Daka. In fact, the owner of Daka Daka, who was. Um, making a new game and he said I see you've got writing as one of your interests in your Daka Daka profile what have you done and I said well I've had a few short stories published here and there and uh, showed him some of my work and he said oh well, I've got a secret project so you want to work on it and I was like oh I, I, maybe and he said I want to make a new science fiction war game and I was like yes that is exactly what my inner 12 year old has always wanted to do um, and so the, for the last five or so years, a team of about six of us have been making uh, Maelstrom's Edge, which came out on Kickstarter last year. And then we delivered to our backers in December and we've just gone to retail last month. Fantastic. And yes, we did buy that Kickstarter and we, we did. had a couple of couple of sets. Still working our way through the minis. <laughs> and yes, very fortunately, I also won a couple of signed copies of uh, Faith and Sacrifice, I think it was, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I'm enjoying very good. So 
We'll, uh, we'll come back to you. Okay. A little bit more about Maelstrom's Edge and some of your salute experiences when we get into that section of the show a little bit later. But first of all, let's go through what we've been up to for the last couple of weeks. So, Oscar, what have you been up to? Well, my graphics exam, my final graphics exam, is Monday, Tuesday next week, along with my art, which is the following week, and then... In, on starting May the 16th, it's my GCSE, so, so I've you been, should be revising. I should be revising. You shouldn't be doing this podcast. That's I shouldn't. Terrible. No, I'm going. What an irresponsible <laughs> father. <laughs> but uh, lots of revision and planning, but on the gaming front, we've been pretty slow recently. I mean, Salute, was we did a day of that recently, but otherwise, we sort of have not really touched on the gaming time, aspect really, of stuff, no. Okay. How about you, Ian? Well, prior to Salute last weekend, I was uh, head head down, um, proverbial up, uh, finishing off my terrain for the Planetfall table. Which looked pretty special, I must say. So uh, I was pretty, yeah, thanks very much. To, but it took a bit of doing, so I was busy doing that. Then, of course, there was Salute, which was a really busy day last weekend. This week, beginning of the week, I chucked some Firestorm Armada terrain together because I had a game with someone at a new venue on Wednesday night. Um, so I needed some terrain putting together quickly for that. So I did that beginning of the week. Then I was playing I saw my armada on Wednesday night, and uh, last night I had the night off. So and then I'm here tonight. What did you play? I played Terrakians 800 points against Cerulean. The wrong so. side again. <laughs> did you win this time with your Terrakians? Yes, but the guy, to be fair, it was only his third game, so I felt a bit sorry for him. <laughs> you newbie beating. That's terrible. <laughs> well, he, he asked for a challenge, and as he'd uh, never played the Terrakians with their grab weapons before, um, the original, uh, the uh, normal Cerulean tactic of sneaking up behind planets didn't really work for him. So. <laughs> okay, Chris, how about you? Fairly busy with work recently, really. Um, bit of painting on the side, uh, but every week Tuesday is games night with the lads, and this week we were playing a bit of... Magic the Gathering and Mackie Coro, little board game, and and making my salute shopping list <laughs> for next year. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, what didn't I get this year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, and uh, Tom, how about you? What, what's your gaming life been like last couple of weeks? Uh, mostly, I'm um, building stuff from the Mousetrap's Edge kit. I mean, one of the nice things about working for a games company is you get lots of uh, free minis as they come in. So I've got some angels and things that I'm building up, and uh, a few kind of things that I'm not allowed to show yet. Nice. Um, you sure you're not allowed to show them? Even hint at them? Uh, yeah. Well, you guys, it's, it, we're not showing this on the podcast, I guess, but we've got some uh, some new sprues for upgrades to the existing box set coming soon. So um, a few weapon swaps and head swaps and things like that, which is quite fun. Cool. Yeah. So just uh, building up, working out what my colour scheme is going to be for a few of my models. Okay. Well, from my side, I started a new job. Uh, So I've been really busy uh, away for for most of the time. So all I've managed to do is order some magnets, uh, some bits and pieces, uh, magnetise a few drop pods. I did get a small amount of painting done on my Legion Assault Carrier. Um, It's a way off being finished, but just getting those detail bits painted in so I can actually put it together. Because a lot of the detail on the models on the inside, so I don't want to put it together until that's done. Mm. Otherwise, I'll never paint it. So this episode, we'll be talking about the Salute Show at the London Excel Centre back on the 16th. But before that, we have the next part of our regular roundup in Hit or Miss. And we're going to take a look at just one mini this week, as we're lining up a mega Hit or Miss episode coming up shortly. Now, I think this one should still generate some decent discussion, however, as it is the limited edition 
the limited edition goes, Space Marine from Games Workshop. It is a very special singular <laughs> mini. <laughs> now, now, let's not prejudge it, but this <laughs> uh, this is sold out now. And in fact, if you go to the games, if you type in Games Workshop Limited Edition Space Marine 2016 into Google and try and get onto the Games Workshop site, there is nothing. All of the pages on this have been expunged. Uh, it never never existed. So you can't get it if you wanted to, unless you can go to eBay or you know somebody or is it shows and things in the future. But that's not going to stop us having a look at it. So this is a single injection molded plastic 28mm Space Marine for the princely sum of $30, or your regional equivalent. Now, just to describe the Mini, it's a beaky Marine with the studded heavy metal shoulder pad. He's got Madonna bra knee pads and a gun that looks like nothing else that I've seen in the Space Marine arsenal before. Probably because we got into 40k, what, 4th, 5th edition? Yeah. So it looks like a bit of a kit-bashed pre-3rd edition Space Marine, which probably, you can tell, not a big fan myself. <laughs> I mean, I believe this is... Is it a reissue of an old Metal Mini? Uh, yeah, certainly is. I've got the original Metal Mini. It's a reimagination, they're calling it, but ah. it's um, very similar to the pose of the original. Obviously, the uh, the sculpt is up to date, but yeah. Okay, so it's limited in the fact that it's slightly different and it's plastic and obviously made in limited amounts. So, Oscar, what are your thoughts? I think you're on the wrong page, Dad. This is just a normal Space Marine. <laughs> no, this is the limited edition I Space just, Marine. Like, I can see where they're going with the whole limited edition thing. They give it a new gun and stuff. But it's one Mini and it's £30. Well, $30. $30, uh, Only sorry. £20, Only £20, pounds, only £20. But... Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else want to chip in? Ian, you've got the original. What do you think? He's also wearing Ugg boots. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, obviously, the, the sculpt is a lot better now. But uh, from, from my mind, uh, I'm sort of a collector, and I used to really like the limited editions, but this one's just um, just not doing it for me. As I say, I've got the original, so why would I want the new one? The point for me also is, is Games Workshop, is it a limited edition model because of the sculpt, or is it a limited edition model because of the stats that it brings to your Space Marine army? That's the question for me. Yeah. I mean, Chris, Thomas, feel free to uh, to share your thoughts, other than your boots. I mean, I quite like him. I quite like him. I probably wouldn't pay £20 for him, because for me, he, he reminds me of those times when I was a kid playing with my uncle's Space Marine collection, before I knew what Space Marines were, before I knew what Wargaming was, all that kind of stuff. So, a bit of a uh, Reminiscing there, I like him. It's cool. Reminds me of my old beakies. But if I wanted a beaky in my army, I could just rummage through my uncle's old stuff and find one. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't dislike it. It's not a bad sculpt, but it's like for that amount of money, I'd want a squad of at least three or five of them. And if you had a squad of five of them, then I'd be like, yeah, that's a cool thing to add to my uh, to my army. It looks a bit different, but just the one model on its own, it's it's just going to sit there in the display case. It's not really doing anything useful. Yeah, yeah, I think he's very much a collector's piece. So. Well, you see, that that's what I'm saying about the rules, because have any of you guys seen the stats that go, go with the model? I've I've come across them. Instant death pistol and instant death short-range gun gets hot. Yeah, uh, and, this, and one, this one Space Marine can replace any Space Marine in your army at no additional cost. So yep. essentially, yeah, you'll be putting it on the table because it gives you a free instant death gun. So. so is that just a way for people who aren't collectors then to want to buy it? Yeah. Possibly. Oh, the so, yeah. Which, 
you've got you can collect it, collect it for the sculpt, or you can collect it for the unique ability that it brings to you, to you, to the table for you. I suppose. Yeah. Very um, very clever of Games Workshop. And uh, what do we think to that? Um, you know, aside from the sculpt, the, those kind of stats. You know, a unique set of stats. I mean, twenty pounds for a set of stats. If if I already had this marine, or I just wanted to, you know, kit bash one myself or represent him another way, is that just a, a, a pay to win? You know. Well, yeah, that's the interest. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's pay to win. He's just as tough as any other space marine goon, basically. Um, probably won't win you the game very often, I don't think, unless it's a very specific uh, sort of set of circumstances. I don't particularly like the fact that there's no points cost to it. Um, the fact that the, just by owning the Marine gives you a bonus. Um, it reminds me of some of the things I didn't really like about Age of Sigmar, where it's not actually to do anything to do with the rules of the game. Yeah. Yes. I invested £20 in this money, therefore I get an advantage in the game. It's completely pay to win, isn't it? Points cost, yeah. I, I don't see why people can't convert their own or dig out their old beefies like Ian's got. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interest, an interesting point. Um, um, whether you can do that, but I've heard the ru- on the rumor mill that if you took this to a competition or a official GW sanctioned event, then they wouldn't allow that sort of uh, activity to go on. So yeah, which you know that that to me is then it is a you're paying for an advantage then because for me if you're kitbashing this from pure GW components which you know you're going to be I'm guessing to to get something that looks like this or you know pure homemade stuff like bits of guitar string and things for these like ridged barrels what's the difference in that then to the one that games workshop sell all it is is the price that's the only differentiator and yeah yeah i mean my gut doesn't like that you know? for a friendly game of course you're going to be able to do it but yeah it's it's just a bit a games workshop if you know what i mean for me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think uh, I think most people will probably get that unless you work for Games Workshop, and then maybe even if you work for Games Workshop, you would. Okay, so time for voting, hit or miss, Oscar. What do you think? You know my. Okay, <laughs> so you're a miss. I, uh, I just don't understand. Yeah, miss, please. Oh well, actually, no. It's a good model. I mean, I like it's a hit for the sculpt. I mean, it's a pretty nice model, but it's just a miss for everything else that they're doing with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I I honestly actually don't like the sculpt. The bits that make it unique are the bits that I don't like. You know, the beaky... I used to like beaky marines, the beaky heads that you used to get. Oh, I think they're you cool. know, I had squads of those. They look cool. I don't like the heavy metal studded um, shoulder pads. I always ditch those or carve those I think the Ugg boots are probably... Yeah, the Ugg <laughs> boots, the Madonna kind of booby kneecap things uh, and elbow bits and the gun. I, I honestly don't like I the know, gun. I know. The more I look at the gun, the more I like it. Yeah. I mean, if if you had a squad of these... Mm. And they were like unique guns. I I could get that because it's like here's this you know this funky old tech that they found. Mm. You know the the Mars guys dug up or you know found some old data sheets for or whatever. Uh, but one guy. Now you're talking about the yeah. UK now, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, maybe you know maybe in a 30k army he would uh, he would be more at home. I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean for me it's a miss. I, I don't like the sculpt and the whole. Uh, anybody that asks twenty pounds for a single twenty-eight millimeter mini is—I mean, it would have to be a phenomenal sculpt, which I don't believe this is, even if you like it. You know, and there are some beautiful sculpts out there. There's some extremely talented people, and I still wouldn't pay twenty pounds for a <laughs> mini of that size, mm. even Infinity miniatures, which 
pound for pound are pretty expensive per mini aren't 20 pounds each not 40k expensive so it's a miss for me how about you chris i kind of like him so i'm going to go with a hit on uh just the model and sort of the history behind it um i probably wouldn't get one just to play with you'd definitely get in a display cabinet but i think the problem with limited edition stuff like this is that everyone goes crazy over it and uh, some people unfortunately just buy it to sell it on I think yeah. it's a shame. I mean, I'm looking at one now on eBay. Buy it now, £50 plus postage. Yeah, <laughs> which is even more cynical than the Games Workshop. But I know, I, I like that it reminds me of trying to be Key Marines. I really like his right-hand shoulder pad, good stuff. Okay. Ian? Well, for me, the the sculpt, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I'm a big Space Marine fan, so sculpt-wise, it's, uh, yeah. I'm with Chris with that one. I kind of like it. It takes me back to... Uh, my early gaming days with 40k. In terms of paying that much for a single mini, as I said earlier, I'm collect uh, minis, particularly from 40k Space Marine background. And I can say I've paid a great deal more than that for a single mini in my time. So I can't really complain <laughs> about the price. If it truly is, if it truly is a limited edition model, then yeah. But we've got trust issues with Games Workshop with that at the minute. Yeah. And also with the the stats and I was explaining before it's a bit meh um, so it's missed from that side but overall on the sculpt uh, and if it is limited edition I'm saying hit so you're calling hit or miss there there's a lot <laughs> hit we'll call it, we'll hit, call it hit okay so Tom hit for the model a miss for the other stuff that goes on around it okay so yeah so Thomas yeah. that means you have the casting vote Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I like the sculpt to a certain amount. If I had a, a sprue, which I don't think would need to be particularly much larger than the one they put in this big box um, that made five of them that I could use as a special squad in 30k or whatever, then I would say, yeah, that, that's great. And I would probably expect to be charged maybe £30 for it. Um, but for, for £20 for a single individual model, uh, with the added thing that it's kind of abusing the rules in that if you've just managed to get hold of one, then you can do better in your battles. No, I, I would have to say it's a miss for me. Okay, so we have a narrow miss, narrow um, miss. for Games Workshop's limited edition 2016 Space Marine, but not that much of a miss. So well, The model is an overall hit, so... They just need to learn their lessons, but we're not going to teach them that. So... Thanks for that. Okay, so enough of that. Let's move on to our roundup and review of the Salute 2016 show. What were everybody's impressions of the of the Salute show this year? Who wants to start us off? Oscar, you, you give us a, a round of what you thought of the show. It was good. Salute's generally pretty good. So we didn't really leave the stand much because it was so busy. Everyone was coming yeah, over. Everybody really demo games. Right? Yeah, exactly. But it was really fun because we haven't really had a chance to do much gaming in the past couple of months so it was really good to actually just sit down and play with the mo- models we got some new models to play with we yeah we got, got to try those Zelosians didn't we oh they were so good and the models are really really nice they are really nice I mean they, they, the renders look good but the models always look better yeah and they're mine well, yeah. <laughs> they're the wrong side, obviously, but uh, they really they play really nice as well. But um, we had a quick look around the show. It was up to its normal standard. It was really good. We didn't really have time to look in great deal at all of the stands, but where we looked, it was pretty good. I say it was it was a good show. Yeah, we seem there seemed to be a lot of people there. A lot of people having fun. It seemed 
It was good energy. About I had it, to wait it. outside for ages though because I'm not allowed in because the trucks. Yeah, I'm too yeah. honest. He's like, "How old are you?" Fifteen. So you have to wait outside. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> if I was three weeks away from sixteen, they wouldn't let you in because I know. of the, the fire and health and safety rules. So, which is a little bit mad, seeing as there were no trucks around at the time. But anyway, we understand that health and safety is important, etc. Et so no, I think it was. I think it was a good show. I think it was. Uh, my impression was that it was bigger and better than last year. Yes, we had the Space Marine going around again. We had the, the Stormtroopers. We had Stormtroopers. We had a TIE fighter pilot or TIE bomber pilot. I can't remember which. It's pretty good. It yeah, pretty it was good. really good. <laughs> Guys, what do you think? Chris? I think it's really great to see just how big and vibrant the hobby actually is outside of the big players like Games Workshop or War Machine and Hordes and that sort of stuff. And there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people there buying all sorts of stuff from two millimeter ancient Greeks to titans from Warhammer. I love it. And Ian? Well, I'm a newbie. It's my first time at Salute this year, so... Um, ah, you popped your, your Salute cherry. Yeah, but unfortunately I was I was doing the same thing you guys were. I was stuck on the... Well, not stuck. I was thoroughly enjoying myself, but I was uh, tied to the uh, Planetfall table all day long. I basically didn't get a toilet break until four o'clock in the afternoon, so that gives you how much an idea of how much chance I had to go around and look at the rest of the show. But overall, um, like uh, you guys have said, the energy, the enthusiasm, uh, the amount of traders and demo uh, games there was just astounding to me. For the first time that I've been, I was just uh, sort of like overawed. Uh, and as Chris says, it's it's really encouraging to see uh, so many different games, so many different people. Um, all enjoying themselves and even though I was busy all day I spoke to that many so many people who had uh, nice things to say um, and I just had a great day so I thought it was fantastic yeah I think um, I'd agree I mean I think perhaps we'll explore that a little bit about the sort of demo games that uh, you and we were running at the uh, the Firestorm stand yeah um, or the Spartan stand because we had a lot of I mean like you Ian we were we didn't get a break till four o'clock, did we? Yeah, it was um, And then we decided that we would just take a quick run round the show. We had 30 minutes, basically, to, to have a quick run round and didn't really get a chance to engage much in anything, but we had a quick quick look at what Probably was there. Probably saved a bit more money than <laughs> Yeah, we, we didn't spend a lot. That's that's the one upside of that. Well, I was just going to say that because it's probably a good thing because it meant my wallet stayed in my pocket for most of the day, which, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very easy to spend a lot of money if you're not careful. We'll come to you in a minute, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, we, we were on the stand running Firestorm Armada demo and participation games, and we had a lot of people come up, a lot of old players, a lot of new players, a lot of people coming into the hobby. And last year we had a couple of people who had some grumbles about odd little things. This year... Nothing. It was just all positive, positive. Really, really nice people. We had people of all ages. We were demo demoing to some kids who were probably seven, seven or eight, maybe seven or eight. Um, slightly annoying, <laughs> but you know. But it was the fun. future generation. They had some. They really, were the game was quite long actually that we played with them. <laughs> yeah, it was about an hour, wasn't it? But no, it was just a really positive experience, and time just flew by because of it. So many questions about all of it. They really test your knowledge, actually, about the yeah. game. And you're just like, oh, my God, <laughs> can I answer well, this? If they're a new player, just wing it. Yeah. <laughs> they won't know. <laughs> I thought you knew stuff about um, 
the new Firestorm uh, task, force. task Force. So I kept going, like, oh, just ask my dad about that. And then they'd go Sorry. to you and you'd just don't go, really oh, I don't it. know anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to refer you on. No, but just really, really good um, player experiences. And it is great to see the hobby thriving because maybe five or six years ago, the hobby really wasn't in that place. And I think it's come a long, long way since then. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I mean, the big thing for me at, at, at Salute this year, the little bit I had time I had to go around, was the sheer number and choice of, of games and genres and uh, everything that's available to the gamer now. You, you, it's just like a, a smorgasbord of, of, um, of things that, that you can get involved with, which I, find, I found was uh, really good. It's gaming overload. Like there's... Ah, too many games, too many models. You can never own them all or play them all, and it upsets me. How about you, Tom? Did you get a chance to actually look around the show, or were you on the the Spiral Arms Studios uh, stand all day? Uh, we were very busy, which is is what we like. Um, so I didn't get a huge amount of time. I got maybe fifteen minutes to just have a little wander around, and really, I didn't have a lot of time to look at trader stuff. So it was mostly looking at the big uh, demonstration and kind of. Uh, showpiece tables um which i thought actually i thought last year there were more tables that really took my breath away but um that's possibly because i had very short um time to look around stuff yeah because i don't think they had the the battle of hoth table yeah that was the one i really liked last year and that wasn't there this year mind you it must take a lot to to cart that thing around yeah and how about as a trader, Tom? How, how What was the experience like for, for Spiral Arms and Maelstrom's Edge? I mean, this year was very different because um, last year, the first the, the day of Salute was the first day of our Kickstarter last year. And we'd only actually gone public. We've been working on it for about three and a half, four years before that. Uh, but we'd only gone public a, a couple of weeks before Salute. Uh, and then we actually launched the Kickstarter the night before Salute. So that was a, a big kind of unveiling and it was very interesting to see people's responses to a new game on the market. Um, and the Kickstarter did very well, and we, we made enough that we could we could do all the things we wanted to do. So a lot of the, the bases and things like that and a couple of the models we wouldn't have been able to do without that. Uh, this year felt very different because we already had the product, we were selling the game, and I think people were approaching us in a much more um, uh, fair state of mind. They, they knew we existed, uh, at least a good chunk of them. And so it was really nice to kind of show, you know, what we've been doing and all of the, all the models and then kind of hint towards what we're going to be doing next. Um, so we're hoping by, by you know, this time by next year when we do Salute next year, we'll have a bunch more stuff to show. Okay, good. Um, but for us, I, mean, I was talking to the guys at Hawk and... Um, they were saying, you know, the key for a, a miniatures game, you know, a, a sort of um, is really kind of you need to get out there. You know, it's like the, you need sort of seven or eight times people need to see your what you're making and like it before they actually commit to a new system. Yeah. Um, and it's once you get that kind of groundswell of, of people being aware of it that you really kind of take off and also having more factions, which is something we're working on at the moment. Cool. Um, once you've got four or five factions, it becomes a lot easier to kind of go, oh, I really like that faction rather than when you, you know, at the start when we've only got a couple, it's, 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 I think it's, it's a more of a commitment for people to buy in. Um, so it's all about raising awareness for us at the moment. Okay. Well, I look forward to those new factions. Yes. Yeah, so I get, I get first choice <laughs> next time. <laughs> so soon. <laughs> Me. <laughs> I mean, talking of Hawk, I saw they had another. Well, they had a spaceship, didn't they? Because they've recently really well, not recently, but they got their space game out. So, oh no, wait, is it out yet? No. Oh well, drop the show. Commander out, comes. I think it's is it June, July? The Kickstarter delivers. It's something like that. Yeah, I ordered it. 
I'm moving house the next week, so I'm, I know your pain. I need to fix my brain. <laughs> but we're looking at the models that they painted up for those. I mean, it's pretty incredible, actually. I want to say the hawk painting is just fantastic, and you just think I could get that, but you know that you're never going to get the quality that they actually produce. Yeah, it's kind of actually one of my barriers to to doing it because I quite like the PHR, but I know I couldn't paint them like that. I like the Aztec-y guys, the orange ones, Shaltari. Yes. Yeah. But one of the things we did see, uh, and I don't know if you guys saw this as well, and Chris, maybe you spotted this, they had a space station pack that was sort of trialed, previewed, whatever, but it builds something like five or six different... Five. Yeah, it's five different space stations that you can build with this. I think it's modulus. I think you can sort of kit bash them and stuff as well. But I think it was rumoured around £20 it's going to retail. It looked fantastic. It looked really good. And I think, you know, you could use them in any space game. I think you could Just use them in Firestorm. <laughs> you could probably use them in, you know, uh, X-Wing or Armada. Did you guys see that as well? I didn't see it in person, but I'd seen renders when the Hawk had their Kickstarter up. Actually looked quite good, to be honest. Yeah, it looked really, really nice. I mean, anything that's modular definitely gets my vote as well. And you can kit bash it to death. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I haven't seen it myself, but uh, the way you're describing it, it sounds, um, yeah, quite uh, interesting. Yeah, they've got, um, there are links definitely on some of the, I think the Drop Fleet Commander sort of group on Facebook has some pictures of it at various different angles that were in the display case that they had with the other the other things there. They also had one of the uh, the UCM ships in bigger scale. Escorting um, the dropship. Yeah, along. escorting the, the, very, the very dropship, nice. which looked really, really quite cool as well. We got some pictures of that because it was probably what two or three feet long, something like that. Mm. Small so, compared to the the other ship. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know whether Dave's um, doing those in his spare time or or somebody else is doing them, but they're doing a good job. Whatever they are, yeah. Okay, so Ian, tell us about your um, your Planetfall demonstration games. Because you, you've made a whole bunch of terrain, which you mentioned before. We saw it. Looks very, uh, very impressive. Very impressive, especially the, the rooftop uh, sort of hydroponics garden thing. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea behind that was it was to get away from, um, let's call it a traditional planetfall scenery, which was either uh, a green field with uh, uh, Spartan uh, uh, buildings on that you get in the commander pack, etc. And the the cityscape, our uh, drop zone, um, sort of like cityscape. So the idea was to make something totally different. So I had to think about it and uh, sort of like put my planet forehead on, uh, and we came I came up with the desert theme. So next step was getting a, a map, and then from there it just sort of like my imagination went wild and uh, took inspiration from various sources: Fallout 4, Mad Max films, etc. Uh, and then it blossomed from there. And that's when, once once I started, um, it just sort of like grew from there. And uh, yeah, it took, about, took a little bit of work um, to get it done. But I was really pleased with it when it was done. It fits in with Planetfall really well. And uh, what was the best thing about it is all the kind comments that people keep saying about it. So it makes uh, your ideas and your work uh, kind of vindicated. So uh, yeah, quite chill. Yeah, now all you need to do is... Uh... A how-to guide. <laughs> well, how how to make the, the terrain? Yeah, we just need a tutorial. So if you just write that up for us, we'll put it on the blog. <laughs> you make another table. Video. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of trial and error, a lot of mess in the in the, my workspace, and uh, yeah, 
quite a bit of expense as well, but I won't talk about that. <laughs> and don't tell my wife about that. Either. No, it costs hardly anything. <laughs> yes, gaming is a very cheap hobby. <laughs> old bottle caps and old bottles and things like that. Yeah, it didn't cost a thing. Yeah, takeaway cartons and uh, bits of old polystyrene. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, the the actual demoing on the on the day went really well. Um, as you say, Alex, uh, uh, when you you were doing Task Force and uh, Armada next to me, and I think we was both going well. Everyone had a uh, nice thing, one uh, a bad comment, and people seemed to be really enjoying the demoing. Um, I even had people after a demo going off straight away buying um, buying models, etc. I mean, the biggest thing for me when people were well both for uh, Firestorm Armada and Planetfall, is when people see the models in the flesh, the most common comment is, is ooh, they look really nice. I didn't know they were that big. Oh, really cool models. Uh, I've seen the renders, but they didn't look that good in renders. So it's really uh, good when people see the models into the flesh for the first time. So that was a good thing for me as well. Yeah. I think we, I mean, we say it almost every episode, I think, you know, Spartan don't do themselves any favours with the renders the that they put up. But like, like Ian was saying, like, so many times I heard people come over and just go, wow, that is, like, the ships are huge. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, well, and the Zelosians did look well, the, amazing. Yeah, they were absolutely massive, those yeah. ships. But that, that new Zelosian battleship is absolutely massive. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I, I just love the Leviathan. The battleship in our games did hardly anything. It all just blew up. I, I, killed, I killed it. I did the dreadnought was so good, though. We worked with the escorts. Yeah. It was putting like twenty-three dice a time. Yeah, it was a beast. It was, it was a beast. Yes, because of course nobody will know about the stats for the, the escorts. We've got little preview yeah. things. So, but they're good. I think they're the good. escorts look nicer than the frigates, to be quite honest. <laughs> well, they can be reconfigured as corvettes. So Ooh. there we go. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Are we allowed? But I, I think uh, our experience has been that, you know, that renders, you know, to make something look good on the tabletop, it doesn't necessarily look good on the screen. Um, yeah. If you make something that looks good on the screen, then people get excited about it. But the actual end model doesn't tend to look very good on the tabletop. Yeah. That's interesting because the, I mean, one of the things with the Kickstarter was we saw, you know, some of the painted minis. I think there was an angel which did it for me. Uh, there was a painted angel, really and it was cool. that was kind of that, that was when I signed up. <laughs> I like the robots just because of the different weapons you can put on. But like the the painted models, the pictures of the painted models really helped, didn't they? Yeah, there's some some really nice, and I think it just it gives you that you know a render is one thing, but it does require a little bit of a leap of imagination to actually think what it's going to look like as a mini and in your hands. In your hands, you know, painted up because we've been been Spartan for a while. I suppose we can always say like that will look good on the table, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and you know if you see a render, you think well it's probably going to look better you know, yeah. when you actually get the hold of the the resin. But if you don't know that... Exactly, it's going to... Yeah. But also, I mean, you know, for instance, our scale is is slightly exaggerated from real proportions, and I think that's true of most games. Um, so when you look at it on a render, because you're looking at it zoomed in on a big screen, it looks weird, you know, like the proportions are slightly off what you expect, but actually that's what you need. Yeah, a minute to look good on the table um, because if you if you just do purely human proportions, it's very difficult to get that to look right. And I think Infinity do it very well, but they're one of the only people. Um, and you really couldn't achieve that with with a lot of plastics and resins. You can only really do that with metal. Yeah, 
That's a really interesting point, actually, because the perception, because what you're doing with a mini, whatever mini is, if it's a, you know, one seventy second scale aircraft or a one thirty fifth scale tank or you know twenty eight millimeter scale minis that we're used to, spaceships and stuff, it's a representation of, you know, it's like painting. Painting, you're creating the illusion of depth often, you know, because light works differently at that sort of scale than it does in, you know, day-to-day life, which is what we expect. So you've got to try and recreate that. So that's a really interesting point, actually, that um, the render, you know, as you say, it's this zoomed up artificial view Whereas a painted mini, you are kind of, it's more rooted in reality. I think it has that kind of. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's something about the human engagement thing. It's yeah. very, very deep. Yeah, <laughs> well. <laughs> that's something we really found a lot this, this year at Salute, actually, because we had a lot more painted models in our display case. And the amount of people who came over and were like, oh, I, did, I wasn't sure if I liked these when I looked at them online, but actually, I really liked them when I looked at them in the flesh. And it's the same, like, if you zoom right in on a mini, even after you've made it, it's not necessarily going to look as good as it will do on the table. Yeah. Well, I think from a painter's perspective, when you see a, a render of a mini, you can't imagine painting it or how easy it's going to be paint or how you're going to paint it. Or you know how you can see it in your mind's eye. It's very um, a lot easier to do that when you see a mini in the flesh and you go, yeah, I could do that and I could do that. So I think that's where renders fall down a bit as well. When you've got the, your painter's head on, you can't imagine painting it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Like with the Planet Four Aquans, I saw them in the renders mm. and I thought they were really nice, but I had no idea. And then when you, when I actually got the models, I knew exactly what I wanted to do because I could see how all the panels fitted together, etc., like properly in the the actual model. Yeah. No, it's a really good point, and I think if there's anybody from Spartan listening, get your minis, do really nice pictures of those, and put them on the website on the web store. And not renders. Okay, so uh, <laughs> yeah, put renders on. That's fine, but give us more renders and give us more actual physical shots, painted and unpainted. I think you can. I think you can see different things for different. You know, with both. Or and also, if you're not from Spartan and you've never seen any of the models in the flesh, get along and see some of their models because they're absolutely brilliant. So there you go. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's pretty much the same for for any. Um, the majority of games, yeah. Yeah, true. Majority of games, yeah. Go and see the models in the flesh. There was a stand there which was something like Dark Sphere Games. Yeah, it was something like Dark Sphere Games, which has these big resin monsters and stuff. And they're, they're gorgeous minis. But And I'd love to buy some, and I'd love to paint them. But I also know that, A, I wouldn't paint them because I just wouldn't find the time. B, what am I going to do with them? Because I'm not actually really that interested in a, another game, and it probably wouldn't be a fantasy kind of game if probably the the most would use them is in strange aeons yeah and, and i mean in strange aeons it's we just cram loads of random models together anyway so it doesn't need a really beautifully no. painted massive mini no we've got minis to paint for them anyway but it's one of those <laughs> things that you just think i need one of those <laughs> yes i want it i want it Okay, so Thomas, perhaps you could actually give us a little bit of an introduction for those of the listeners out there who don't know about Maelstrom's Edge. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about the game and uh, and what makes it different. So, I mean, uh, so we started work, a uh, group of, of sort of gamers and uh, and science fiction fans about, well, nearly five years ago now. And we, we sort of was, we were looking at what we can, uh, what we could make as a miniature game. What would excite us? And we wanted to make something... Uh, which was a game that would be um, quick to play, would not have a huge model count, but would be tactical. 
and would have its own interesting background, which was would be unique with the factions feeling different to what was out there. Uh, and also that would have high quality miniatures. So, you know, really kind of in, almost entirely made of a multi-part plastic, kind of the proper sort of GW style sprue plastic where you have multiple options for weapons and that kind of thing. And so it took a long time. Plastics in particular take a long time to develop, but um, we kind of um, developed the game uh, over, over many years. Um, and then we got to the point where we had most of the game and the factions designed before we ever told anyone we were doing it. Uh, and in fact, lots of the art and sculpts were done before we went public. Uh, and this because we wanted to go to Kickstarter, but we didn't really want to, we didn't want to release something and then have people wait for it for three years and then it not be what they expect. So we, we didn't really go public with it until we completely finished. Uh, and so the general idea with Maelstrom's Edge in the universe, which is what my main responsibility is, um, is that it's far in the future and humanity has colonized the majority of the spiral arm, which is the kind of uh, stream of stars around where the uh, the home worlds are. And they've mainly been able to do this thanks to the Cybal network, which is a, a sort of series of, of filigree tunnels of dark energy that link uh, objects of high mass. But around about a thousand years before the game is set, the uh, there was an, an accident, some unexplained event at the center of the galaxy where the, these tunnels um, broke open and began spilling this energy into, into real space. And the this tidal wave of energy that's consuming planets, we call the Maelstrom, and that's why um, the game is called Maelstrom's Edge, because it's all about the, the planets on the edge of that destruction that are uh, where people are fighting to escape, fighting to get resources away, and really trying to get a, uh, when we were designing this, we wanted to get a a feeling where there's a reason why these factions are fighting each other, but it's not, it's not something where they're just fighting each other because they like fighting. There's actually um, real risks, real um, stakes for them to uh, try and get their families away before the, the planet is destroyed. Um, so that's a kind of general open of the fluff. In terms of the rules, John's done a great job and it's a very um, dynamic rule. It's quite fast paced and it, in, it's m much more about achieving your objectives uh, rather than just plonking two armies down and throwing dice at each other. So you, you gain victory points every turn and uh, there's an instant win if you get to the, the, the victory point target. And the units, we call it squad based skirmish, so it's sort of units of three to five models where if you're in cover and you're being shot at, it's actually quite hard to die, but you do get suppression. And the more suppression tokens you have on you, the harder it is to be killed, and, uh, the harder it is to do something, sorry. And um, what that means is you can kind of pin down a unit with putting lots of suppression on it whilst your other units flank them. And when you, for instance, get behind uh, a unit, because all our bases have markers to indicate where the front and back of the model is, you do a lot more damage and they can take a lot less cover if you can get behind them. Um, so we, we, we hope we've uh, designed a box set that is of high quality and, and that people like. And uh, our next target now is to start making new factions to kind of expand the world out. So, yeah, that's kind of a brief overview of where we're at with Maelstrom's Edge. Yeah, and I think actually that's um, the background part of it, because... Obviously, you're one of the, the principal authors. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the, the big differences that I saw uh, to other Kickstarters, to other games actually that have been released, was, I mean, you started off basically with uh, a set of uh, novels that mm -hmm. basically put this into, into context, don't they? And I think they did that very well. Uh, I mean, I haven't read them all yet, but it does introduce that whole concept 
in a very nice fashion. I don't, and I've not seen that done before, where you've actually had you know novels from the outset. We, we're used to it from Games Workshop, the Black Library, but that's a you know a monolithic company with vast resources, <laughs> um, you know, mm. and the Black Library is sort of profitable in its own right. Yeah. So I think for Kickstarter, that was quite a bold move, but quite a smart one, and you know, it really yeah, does it offer the, something different. Yeah. Yeah, and really, you know, People allows you to visualise that world and engage with the characters, and you know, it makes sense of a lot of the stuff that you see in the game. Really so, nice. With a lot of games, I wish there was more stories about it because, as yeah. much as I like creating a lot of the imagination, I, you know, when you create the battle in your head from the models, which is where it's on the table, like I really would like some more in-depth stories about some individual characters, etc. Yeah, fleshing the world out. Exactly, which is what this does. Well, thank you. That's uh, very gratifying to hear. Um, I mean, one of the things that we were really trying to do, or from a personal perspective, one of the things that I was really trying to do when designing everything was to have uh, no kind of moral absolute. So there's no real good faction in Maelstrom's Edge, but there's no truly evil faction either. Like, uh, And that's something that we work very hard with with the books um, to try and make it so that you understood both the Iperion Foundation, this corporation that does terraforming with uh, with robots, um, you understand why they don't want um, the Karist Enclave, this religious group, to um, keep all their people uh, on the planet when the Maelstrom comes. And you know the Karist Enclave believe that this is you know not the end of everything, and it's it's a chance to ascend to a new plane of existence. So you know there's there's these kind of moral complexities which uh, I think make it a lot easier to to tell good stories to tell good fiction which is useful for me and hopefully for the readers but also i think from a from a gaming point point of view it always annoyed me um when i was playing other miniatures games where i'd turn up with say a space marine army and my opponent would also have a space marine army and there was really no reason why these armies were fighting each other And, you know, if you, if you read all of the fluff in the codexes and all this stuff, there's really no exception where this is an okay thing to happen in the fluff. Um, and so part of the reason we designed the universe in the way it is with the Maelstrom uh, sort of fragmenting the way the galaxy travels and trades and, and talks to each other, but also making the, you know, we spent quite a lot of time working on the physics of the space travel so that it's, it's quite difficult to get everybody off a planet before the Maelstrom arrives. Um, so traveling between stars along the cyborg network is very quick because the cyborg network kind of shrinks space. But once you get there, you still have you're still next to a star, and to get to the planet, it might take you months. So actually, getting everybody off world is very difficult, which for me is great for the fiction, but it's also really good for explaining why there's so much conflict and why everyone's actually um, fighting each other to get the resources they need to get off world. Yeah, um, and that's been very exciting sandbox to play in. Yeah, nice. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, congratulations to all of you because I think you've done a, you have done a very good job. And um, yeah, can't wait actually to get our, our minis to have time to actually yeah, get our minis so. painted and, and down onto the table. So yeah, I know the feeling. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe if uh, I just kind of sum up by saying what we're what we're planning to do next. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so we've we've got two more factions uh, being sculpted right now. So there's the uh, they've been hinted at in the fiction, and um, that's the um, the broken, which are the kind of um, Mad Max kind of revolutionaries and rebels and pirates. Um, it's basically everybody that's left behind by all of the the leaving governments, and uh, so that's going to be a real ragtag. Kind of almost not not quite a horde army because it's you know still reasonably small armies, but there's going to be lots of units in that. And there's going to be lots of fun things. 
with kind of aliens that have been left behind by you know, by the humans that don't care about them and ragtag bands. Uh, and then sort of counterpointing that, we have the really elite army of, of the remnant fleet, which is uh, um, something I'm very excited about. I'm writing a new book um, about them, which is these very rich and technologically powerful uh, people that fled the centre of the galaxy just before it was destroyed. And now they live on these giant ships that um, are just escaping the maelstrom each time, uh, basically by taking whatever resources that they can from people around them. And they rely on the champions, which are these uh, guys in in big um, armored suits, like much, much bigger than, say, a space marine. So, you know, properly uh, kind of exo suits rather than uh, rather than powered armor, where, you know, one of these guys is equivalent to a whole squad um, from another army. Um, and I think it's going to be really nice to see those on the table where you've got the uh, the hordes of the broken revolutionaries and all their, their kind of um, ragtag elements against, you know, maybe six or seven of these uh of these super soldiers um, <laughs> i think that's going to look really nice on the tabletop so we're still in sculpting for that so things might change a little bit but that's kind of what we're hoping we might show at salute next year excellent oh, that sounds really good which one do you think you'll go for then oscar well <laughs> i do have to say that the giants take my fancy but i do like the idea of this kind of mix of human aliens yeah to be quite honest you see, naturally, I'd be drawn towards the the big exosuit guys, the elites. Yeah, same. But actually, yeah, like you say, yeah. the, the idea, the idea of the. I don't of really have anything like it of a ragtag mix of stuff. Is yeah, quite exactly. Too. So desperate times, desperate so, measures, kind yeah. of thing. So I'm happy with whichever you choose. No, no, that'd be good. Uh, more minis. <laughs> yes, <laughs> more minis, less money. <laughs> gaming isn't it absolutely absolutely so speaking of uh, more minis and uh, money chris perhaps you could give us a few minutes on uh, your general impressions of the show because i think you probably got more time than any of any of the rest of us to actually look around the show yep. i know you've been uh, you were hunting for a few for a few minis um across there so tell us about uh, what your impressions of the show were uh, like i said earlier it's just great to see the um the hobby doing so well there's so many games there that I, I, I spark the corner of my eye and go, oh, I'd like to play that one. I'd play that one. That one looks pretty cool as well. Um, so it's a bit sort of uh, magpie, really. What were your top three? Top three for the show stands. So my plan mostly this year was hunting down bits and pieces for a game called Frostgrave. Don't know if you guys have come across that one. Yeah, I've played a couple of games of that. Yeah. So yeah, I was just hunting down sort of lots of... Uh, well, the, the general premise is you've got a wizard... And there's a there's an old frozen city, Felstadt, which has uh, been covered in ice for thousands and thousands of years uh, due to some magical incident in the past. A bit like more time. Um, <laughs> surely not. <laughs> surely not. But um, yeah, Felstadt, more time. I let you did work that one out. But the, the the city's now defrosting, and there's lots of magical treasures up for grabs. So you lead a, a plucky wizard. Uh, and he hires a bunch of men, so warriors, henchmen, thieves, thugs, rangers, marksmen, that sort of ilk, through the uh, the ruins collecting treasure. And you earn experience points, and the wizard gets better, um, and learn more spells, and get better at spells. But all the other guys are completely expendable. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like our kind of game. Yeah. So, I've got a couple, and I was, I was hunting down as many different sorts of expendable sort of archetypes as I could, basically, so barbarians, and uh, I've got some sort of 
Arabic-looking guys and some sort of German-looking guys and some sort of typical medieval-looking guys, just to have a bit of variety between me and my friend's warband. Excellent. And what were your your top uh, stands that you saw then at the show while you were perusing and looking for expendable henchmen? <laughs> the giant hawk spaceship. I particularly like Ian's Ian's planetfall stuff. That's pretty good, Ian. Do you mind building some stuff for uh, this year's warfare tournament? Yeah, yeah, I was looking at that. I'll talk to you about that, Chris. <laughs> yeah, going to need some more tables this year. Excellent, that sounds good. Oh, what else going on? There was some really big Kings of War games going on. They just packed the table full of miniatures of all sorts. They were pretty good. There was there's some, some of the historical stuff just amazing, so the detail and work that goes into recreating World War Two or... Um, ancient historical stuff or sort of renaissance era stuff some of those tables are just incredible yeah some of the the dedication of people is 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 pretty impressive i don't know if any of you guys saw but was it death race or something that had a volcano with um smoke coming out the top of it i didn't see that yeah i saw that table i I chatted to the guys that put it together it took them a whole year to put that table together wow (laughs) it did look very impressive okay so um you mentioned world war ii there so i'm going to use that as a very tenuous segue into a couple of things that were on uh the spartan table the first of which was something called i think project gotadamarum which is Spartan's new... Well, they didn't say whether it was going to be a game or not, but sort of secret World War II 1946 uh, imagining. So a lot of experimental stuff. They had a ratter uh, and some lots of mouse, super heavy tanks, together with some tortoise, British stuff, and all, all kinds of... One 300 scale, six millimeter tanks. So we didn't really get a chance to... I literally have no idea. I mean, I saw them packing up, but I mean, I, did it go well? Did people get interested? I, I don't or... know. Chris, did you get... I, I think I was, I was chatting to them and they said it was going really well because obviously World War II is popular with a whole different section of the wargaming community that may normally play Spartan games. So a lot of people were coming over apparently and just going, wow, these six mil tanks and stuff are, are brilliant. They're some of the best stuff on the market because it's... It's Spartan's typical quality now of um, resin casting. So they were looking to be quite popular, even just even outside of the game, just for other people to use as their 6mm stuff. And um, did you see the game played at all? Uh, I, I chatted with the guy. I didn't play the game, but rather controversially, it doesn't have exploding dice. Oh, which is a bit of a departure for Spartan. I uh, know. It, uh, it had quite an interesting activation mechanic. So similar to some of the games, each unit gets a, a, a token from each side goes into a bag, and each turn, each commander will draw out X number of tokens. So I think other games operate like this. So I put out three of my tokens, one of yours. I get to move three things, and you get to move uh, one. But what's a bit different about this one was, if I pull out two of my tokens, one of your tokens, I can choose the order in which those tokens are resolved. And also, when it's one of your tokens, I get to choose which of your units you move. So... I think that adds quite an interesting dynamic to the game. Oh, and this doesn't have any release date or uh, or anything on it yet at the moment, does it? No, they were they were asking for people to potentially sign up for sort of beta testing and dissecting the rules. So I signed up for that. Okay, so if you're interested in World War II uh, 1946 type projects and you fancy having a little go at uh, chopping some rules about, 
Uh, that's probably one that you could... Is it still open for sign-up, or was it just at the show, Chris? Uh, they were just taking our email, so I'm assuming it's still open. Um, I don't know who would contact at Spartan directly to get involved. Um, I just guess drop, just drop them an email yeah. at some point. Yeah, okay. And the other one, of course, which uh, you know, was a big a big draw, was the Halo ground combat game. Like, again, I didn't... Actually, we didn't actually get to have a look at this. Yep. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting scale, I think. It's kind of not... A scale I've seen done before, um, at least not very often in sci-fi. Uh, it's 15 mil scale, isn't it? Yeah, it's 15 mil. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's the same as um, Flames of War and similar games like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I'd seen it obviously with with um, World War Two stuff, but sci-fi it seems like a less common thing to do. Not um, so much. But then people use it for various games like um, Grunts, although that's sometimes more, more. A lot of these games can be used as six or 15, so there's Grunts and Tomorrow's War, and there's a new one that came out uh, just before Salute. I picked up the rule set just for a have a look over, and that's called, uh, was it Horizon something? Oh, yes. Horizon War. Yeah, Horizon. Yeah, by Osprey Games. Osprey yeah. Books, yeah. It's a signed copy of that rule book. How does that look? Just out of the collection. So the, the rule book for Horizon's out now, is it? Uh, yeah, I've got it. Hang on. Oh, where's it gone? <laughs> Don't hurt yourself finding it, Chris. <laughs> Yeah, I've got it in my hand now, so yeah. So it's, um, what size is that? Slightly less than A4. Um, similar to the size of the, the Frostgrave rulebook, actually, which is also from Mossbury. About the same sort of size, hundred just under 120 pages. And that's 15mm, or? So it's, it's a, um, it can be anything. So, uh, where does it say? Model scale. Anything from 2 to 10, but generally okay. 6. But again, it's one of these sort of, a bit like Grunts, it's quite an open-ended game, so you can design your own faction and use whatever models you want from whatever company you want uh, to make your own force, really. Okay, so a little bit like Polyversal that we discussed last week yes. with, uh, with the guys there. Okay. Now, I have seen some stuff on, on Horizon, but I didn't realise it was out just yet, so maybe we'll get to check that out sometime. Yeah, so. definitely. It came out about a week, literally a week before Salute, I think, it started being posted out. Gotcha. Gotcha. There's a lot of people on a, a, a six mil gaming group on Facebook going, oh, get a copy, have a look at it, that sort of stuff. Anyway, we went on a massive segue. <laughs> yeah. So the Halo Ground Combat <laughs> game, I didn't see it being played. I've seen the minis, uh, which I... look really nice, especially the Covenant stuff, because I'm a, a bit of a Covenant. Well, obviously the Covenant are going to look better. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the... They have the little grunts, they have the elites, uh, which have fantastic detail. I only for, looked for at one of the elites. That's the only thing that I've actually seen <laughs> from the Halo thing. But apparently they were doing very well. I mean, the table was just so packed, I couldn't even glance over and have a look. It's yeah. just people it all around it. Yeah, so Chris, did you get a chance to, to see that being played? I, I sort of had a quick overview. So, yeah, it's got a reaction mechanism, and you can airdrop in fresh troops from your dead pile, tanks, planes... Infantry look good. Yeah, I, I think it's a diff. To me, the Halo Fleet Battles game obviously it has the Halo name. It's got recognisable ships and things. But what people really know Halo for is obviously Master Chief and killing grunts and elites and stuff. Whereas well, spaceships come into it quite a lot when Master Chief blows them up. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, but there's no actual space combat in yeah, the game, yeah, yeah. is there? Whereas this game, I can see, you know, I can see the appeal. I can see the draw of people because it's instantly recognisable. You know, you've got warthogs that you have in the game. You've got your UNSC troops. It's just, it has a really strong connection. It's like X-Wing. Can you flip the warthogs? I spend most of my time in Halo flipping warthogs. There are mechanics that you can capture stuff off 
the enemy. So like an oh, enemy really? can capture a warthog. Oh, that's um, awesome. And vice versa on ghosts and stuff. Yeah, there are rules by jacking uh, scorpions and stuff. Oh, nice. I think they're mostly limited to uh, elites and Spartans doing that sort of yeah. stuff. Rather than grunts. I think they can take over a tank very easily. Oh, here's a question. Are there the suicide grunts? Yes. Oh, brilliant. So I just... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the grunts with two little grenades running here. Yeah. yeah, so it's a really interesting IP, obviously. Mm. And there was a guy uh, from Three Four Three Studios at the the Spartan uh, stand, so I think he got a lot of attention as well. Uh, and I think it's good to see that kind of direct involvement as well. You know, yeah, you've got that. You know, somebody from Three Four Three working with with Spartan to, I guess, to preserve their IP, but also, you know, so there seems to be a two way communication, which is uh, has to be a good thing, right? So it's nice to see that franchise sort of maturing into something which is very recognisable, and it, it must be pretty high profile as well for Microsoft because this is their flagship this is that thing, product, isn't it? Isn't yeah. It? So interesting to see how that that comes out. It was flagged, I think, for summer release. They didn't wouldn't be drawn on what exact month that was, but they said I think Halo Fleet Battles was also summer last year, and I think they delivered in July. So. You know, they've, Give or take. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the track record on it is around that, so yeah. I expect we should see something like that. I think there's still a few things to, to tweak and stuff before they do the final rules and printing. Yeah, yeah. I, I want some elites and hunters. Let's see. I want I want some Spartans. <laughs> and a scorpion. I really like the tanks. I think the tanks look great. I've seen... We saw... I've seen a couple... I saw the render for a scorpion tank. You didn't see the scorpion? They had a scorpion there. Like I said, I, um, <laughs> the scorpion is my favourite tank. It's so cool. <laughs> I was so good at blowing up banshees with that thing in the games. <laughs> it's a very nice model. It's trying to, trying to hide behind a, a pylon in the game. I don't think it was very successful at that. Oh, no. <laughs> I think I took a picture of that. <laughs> this little skinny pylon and this huge Just tank talking guys. about hunters, I completely forgot about that. Because <laughs> like, God damn it. <laughs> That's so good. I mean, we saw some some other stuff along there. There was a game a game called Shattered Void, which is coming to Kickstarter, and I think oh, I was that the one with the the cool mech. They were fifteen millimeter as well, weren't they? Yes, they, and had, they had some, some videos. Yeah, they got mechs coming. Yeah, really, really nice fifteen uh, millimeter, and that guy actually had backed the Halo. Um, yeah, we told a Halo one, and actually. He was saying, you know, he's looking at you know, mixing and matching some of the, the minis, and you absolutely could. You know, the, the quality of they both, I think, was comparable. Really nice exosuit models. Yeah. So, again, really, you know, we are in a golden age of, of gaming, really. We are spoiled for choice. It does give us certain challenges. I think it's challenging, you know, for all manufacturers because they've got, got to keep up with the different. Yeah. I mean, it's the standard so and quality of sculpting is is continuously increasing. I mean, it's always nice to see something on Kickstarter come to fruition, you know, when we got our Maelstrom's Edge boxes and actually get to see the plastic, and it's, like, really nice. It was really well produced. It's good quality, really good detail on them. I think one um, of the hardest things now is just finding something new because, yeah, I mean, a lot of people... Um, you get the space games, like you know, like Firestorm Armada, Battlefleet Gothic, etc., etc. But it's finding the sort of new and interesting things that you can put into those games, which will draw attention, isn't it? Really, the challenge nowadays for me is finding an opponent or, or, or opponents to play these games because there's that much choice, and everyone's choice is a little bit different. Yeah, it's getting increasingly difficult to to, to get people that play in the same game at the same time. Yeah, I think that's one of the strengths, the historical strength of 40k, and why I think 40k still persists to the extent it does. It's yeah. still the biggest game around, the biggest single game 
pretty much. But you can pretty much, you know, guarantee that if you go somewhere, somebody will we'll play forty k. Whereas I think you're right, Ian. If I went to I don't know Aberystwyth tomorrow for a few days, and I reached out to the community, would I find a Firestorm player in Aberystwyth to throw some dice down with? Maybe, but no, you know, maybe not. Just an example this week. Just an example this week. I I, went, I played a game on Wednesday, like I said. And I drove nearly two hours each way just for a game of Firestorm Armada. So that just shows you how, how far you have to go these days. Yeah. You're, you're dedicated, Ian. It's great. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But... <laughs> one of the things we're trying to set up is um, a, uh, a what we call the Com Guild, which is one of our later factions we're going to go on to, but a kind of street team type thing where people get um, encouraged to kind of go in and play games in stores and kind of try and get the message out there and have armies for people to play because I think yeah getting those little gaming groups which are all playing the same game is really important to a game success yeah yeah because it must be a big challenge for a you know a new company or one that's got a new product to actually have that because you don't have the the player base to start with you know you don't have the physical bricks and mortar stores that you know company like Games Workshop does that it can utilize those so yeah it is a challenge I think yeah I think it's the same for any game I mean even Firestorm is still hard to find a game outside of someone that's got a, outside of an area that's got a really um, enthusiastic player to sort of lead the way. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I mean enthusiasm is really important. Like it's really great to see guys like you talking about it on your podcast and on your blog and stuff. Like it, you know, the kind of oxygen of, of attention to new products is really important, no matter what game it is. Okay. Well, I think that brings us to the the end of our episode today i'd like to thank everybody for your for your time this evening you know the, the show at salute this year i think was really good it's great to see um, it expanding i think we we do need to get that enthusiasm we need to sustain yeah. that we all need to be part of that you know to grow our games but it is growing you can definitely tell but i think it is i think it is and you know i wish everybody luck in in cultivating their particular base of, of games we'll certainly continue plugging uh, maelstrom's edge for you guys at spiral arms uh, obviously, we're very keen on on Spartans' um, galaxies uh, in the Firestorm universe, and quite interested in Halo. Uh, you know, I enjoyed the Halo games. It was one of the reasons I bought an Xbox. In fact, it was the only reason I bought an Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> so, quite interested to actually, you know, bring that experience to gaming as well. Mm. Um, you know, get that kind of physical physical experience there. Yeah, and just interested to see what what comes up for comes Salute up 2017 when we'll have you know, a fair few more games out there. Drop Fleet will have dropped. <laughs> We've got a few more Kickstarters that that will have matured by then. Oh, the end Touch of the wood. year. I just we've got a couple of Kickstarters. We have quite a lot of news coming. Yeah, so quite uh, a lot is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see next year. I, I'm very encouraged by it. Um, final thoughts, guys. Great salute for me. My first one, definitely back next year in some capacity. Um, maybe supporting Spartan Games again. But if I go in as a punter, I'm going to make sure I take that bank load out before I go. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas? Yeah, I mean, it was really great for us um, having uh, you know launched our game last year, essentially. Um, it was really good to get so many backers coming and saying hi and, and stuff. So for us, you know, it's kind of building on that and, and getting more more models and more fiction and more rules out there for uh, for everyone so hopefully uh, this time next year there'll be a bunch more exciting things for everybody to see right how about you chris i, I always enjoy salute it's like a like a giant version of reading warfare without the tournaments just shops, <laughs> shops, shops. 
But it's, it's also nice to get to chat to people about the games I've written. So I've had a chat to the Horizon War writer and some of the guys at Osprey. And you see all the familiar faces like the Beasts of War guys around there doing their videos. Alicia Cavatore, uh, Ronnie Renton, all those sort of characters. The Perry twins, they're great chapter as well. Just a really nice day out as well. Okay, how about you, Oscar? Final thoughts? Uh, it was just really good, like Chris was saying. It's really sociable. It's good to talk to everyone. It's glad to see. It's good to see. Sorry, uh, everyone getting involved uh, in all of the different games. It's good to see all of the games there, and. Uh, like you said, just looking forward to the next one and hoping that it, it only gets bigger, really. Great. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. So, signing off from the Hub Systems, it's Alex. And Oscar. And Ian. And Chris. Cheerio. And Thomas. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time.